Hello, and welcome back to Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode will be the update episode and cover a little bit of current events with Epstein. There's new news in that as of this recording. And we'll talk a little bit more about the morality of government that I discussed in the previous episode. And I want to cover that from a Judeo-Christian perspective, not necessarily for religious reasons, but more because Western society is based off of Judeo-Christian values, and so it would make perfect sense to see how that corresponds to government. And that is how many people judge ethics and morality is according to these standards, and so that's something that we can at least look at briefly and see, well, what does that say about the current model of government for modern governments? So that's what we'll do, and that's it, and that'll wrap it up. I'll talk about what's going on as far as where we are in the outline, and that'll wrap up this episode, and we'll get back into basically tearing down the idea of government from here on out. We have covered the immorality of government, looking at it from a moral and ethical perspective. And so next episode, we'll be looking at government from a more practical and efficiency perspective. Basically, if we get rid of the moral question, and morality is subjective, it's not objective. So if we get rid of that and say, well, we can't know for sure what really is right, what really is wrong, and that's not really how you should assess a government, well, the next question is that, well, if we want a government and we need a government because they have to perform certain functions in society, well, let's actually look at how they perform those certain functions in society and see if they actually succeed at that. And if they do accomplish what they're supposed to be doing, do they accomplish it efficiently? Do they accomplish it well? Do they accomplish it fully? So that's more the angle that we'll look at in the next episode. And then we'll get into some more interesting parts. This is what I'm looking forward to the most personally. The next episode after that, we'll look at how a government could be structured in such a way that it actually meets the moral requirements that at least I've laid out here, as well as meets the requirements of being practical and efficient and effective and all these things. I argue that that actually is possible, and there's others that have argued this as well, and so I'll discuss that and see basically assess how that would be structured in general. I can't say exactly because you never know how something like that would pan out, but I can at least give a rough outline of a possibility for structuring a government that actually is moral and effective and efficient. So I want to present that idea and so that'll kind of wrap up the first three parts of this series on government from a systems perspective. And then for the themes episode, I'm going to focus on the theme of basically government is immoral and inefficient and is probably not necessary. So even though I will present a way to have a government that fits these standards, there has to be an alternative. What if there was not a government? Is that even possible? And so that themes episode will cover anarcho-capitalism, and that basically focuses on how could a society be structured and how could it operate without having a government at all? A totally free society, a totally stateless society, what would that even look like? Is that even possible? 
And even if it is possible, is it desirable or would it just be a mess? Would it be the chaos that you see in zombie apocalypse movies where everybody's just out for themselves and murdering in the streets and everything else? Is that actually realistic? And so I would argue no, and I will explain my argument there in that episode, the themes episode on anarcho-capitalism. And then for the final episode in this series, that's typically our case study episode. And so for that, I'm actually going to do a case study on anarcho-capitalism from a perspective of the objections to that form of society. So obviously there are many questions. Even if I present anarcho-capitalism as a working model for a structured society that even is desirable, there are still plenty of questions that people have and objections that people have. And they say, well, what about this? What about the roads? What about national defense? What about who knows what, a court system, whatever else? How do you make that work without a government? How would that even pan out. And so although I will talk about those structures in the episode on anarcho-capitalism, I want to really dig into these objections and give them their merit and their due because they do have merit. They are legitimate objections. And I want to cover those and make sure that those are addressed as well. And so that will wrap up our full series on government from a systems perspective And then after this, we'll get into our next series, which will focus on money. And it'll be kind of similar to what these current series are. We've done this one on government. We'll do one on money. Then we'll do one on education. And they're all going to be looking at mainly alternatives and future possibilities and focus on those types of things. So for the money one, we'll focus on blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, smart contracts, things like that. And so that'll be, I guess, a little more tech-focused, but um, fairly relevant, especially for today's day and age where this stuff is actually getting recognized. It actually exists. There's a lot of potential there. And then for the education series, we'll focus on alternative educational methods. So things like homeschooling and unschooling, college alternatives, certification programs, just all these different things, as well as different ways that even public schools and private schools are structuring themselves. Maybe we'll talk about Montessori schools and a few others. So that's what we'll do there. And then we'll get into the next bit uh, that will be the end of season one of our foundations. And so we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. For the two things that I did want to mention in this episode, in addition to that brief outline and update on where we are in the season. Let's start off with Epstein, because in the previous update episode that I released about, I guess, four episodes ago or so, Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein had been arrested and charged with multiple charges related to running a prostitution ring, especially with underage minors involved. And there was evidence that was attained from his New York apartment. There were videos, there were pictures, there were lots of different types of evidence. He was arrested. It's going to court. There's a criminal case against him. And basically, everybody's talking about more the conspiratorial aspects of this, because there is plenty of conspiracy behind this. Last time he got arrested basically for the same thing. He got a very light sentence. There was a mention that Part of the reason for that is that he was tied into the intelligence community. So the best guess I would have would be the CIA. That would make the most sense. But 
that hasn't been specified, but the person that was in charge of prosecuting him back then had mentioned that he was told that Epstein was with intelligence and basically to let it be and leave him alone. And it was claimed, at least, that Epstein would have gotten an even lighter sentence than what he did had the people involved not actually presented a plea deal that was, although light, at least worse than it would have been otherwise. And that was the argument, at least. Well, after all this happened, there's a lot of talk about all the people involved. Uh, Trump was a friend of Epstein and had even made comments that specifically related to the things involved right now. I'll read one of the quotes here. This is from 2002, when Trump was interviewed by the New York Magazine. He said, quote, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. So that's what he had to say about Epstein and their friendship and relationship. And yes, it was well known that Epstein was a big partier and did like women and did like very young women, and that was no secret whatsoever. But the point is that Trump and Epstein were fairly close at one point. It seems like they had a falling out at some point, but there are some deep connections there. There are also many connections with the Clintons. Bill Clinton had ridden on um, Epstein's private jet many times, and Hillary had been on the jet also many times. There are allegations against the former... Israeli head of state, the Duke of Wales, some other princes and heads of states around other nations, and lots of top-notch people like CEOs and people on the board of directors of many different large international corporations, as well as people in academia and top scientists. There's all kinds of names that have been dropped on this, and Really big deal, really big scandal. I had mentioned in the previous update episode that I wasn't quite sure anything would ever come of this because the reality is that you have to look at what's more likely. And you can use Occam's razor to really look at this. And that basically says that the easiest explanation is usually correct, that there's no need in adding complications and trying to make all kinds of different connections and stuff that usually whatever's the most obvious and the easiest way to explain something, that's probably the way it actually is. That's probably how you can identify what the causes are and that kind of stuff. And so to me, at least, it does seem like the most obvious outcome that nothing would come of this. Because either you have a court case that for some reason and some way gets put off, or you have one scapegoat that goes down, or basically something minor and nothing really comes out of it, or you have hundreds of the world's top elites in politics and in academia and in the corporate world all going down worldwide all at once from one case. To me, that's not very realistic. I mean, yes, it could happen, and yes, they probably do deserve it, and yes, all that probably is true. But if you look at what's the most obvious option and what's the most realistic, yeah, probably not, at least in my opinion. So shortly after the previous update episode, when I mentioned Epstein, it was reported that Epstein ended his own life while he was in jail, and they are reporting it as a suicide. Many people are questioning whether it is a suicide or not. It's actually interesting. I had retweeted something that was basically a fake message from Hillary Clinton shortly after Epstein got arrested that said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about Epstein's suicide. 
And it was, you know, well before he actually did commit suicide. And it was just funny because a lot of people were saying, oh, the Clintons are going to off him because he's got dirt on the Clintons. And sure enough, a week later or so, he did commit suicide and is no longer with us. So that's interesting. But again, if you go back to Occam's Razor, what's the most obvious explanation? What's the easiest way to explain this? And I can actually see it both ways. You've got a guy that really has no hope of getting out of this. At least he's going to go down. And whether or not other people do or not, who knows what would have happened. But he's definitely going to go down for this. And there's not a good way of him getting out of it. And it was reported that he had attempted to end his life uh, shortly prior to this as well. And so, yes, that's a fairly easy and simple explanation. That's very possible. On the other side, though, he was working with his lawyers for many hours a day while he was in jail up until the time that he supposedly committed suicide. And so he was obviously working very hard on his defense, which why would you do that if you're just going to give up anyway? There's also the matter that he had made comments uh, previously where he wanted to have his brain frozen and another body part frozen so that whenever technology caught up with being able to do this, he could be revived and he could repopulate um, and add his genes to the gene pool again and help humanity and basically live forever. Well, if somebody wants to live forever, that's probably not someone who is going to be responsible for ending their own life, usually. And so you add that to the fact that you have hundreds of the world's top elites, every single one of them with a very strong motive for wanting him to not exist anymore and wanting this case to not proceed. And so what's the easiest and simplest explanation Well, I could also see that it's just as easy to explain this as one of those people had him killed, or a few of them had him killed, and that's pretty easy to see. There are a lot of discrepancies in how that occurred in the jail and different things that were involved, and so, yeah, I could see that either way. So, you know, to be honest, I don't know, and as of this point, no one in the public really knows what happened, but what really matters is what happens from here. So are people going to be held accountable for this? We have top politicians and corporate executives that have been accused of being involved with underage children from this prostitution ring that Epstein and someone else were running, and are any of these people going to be held accountable for this? Will anything happen? Will charges be pressed? Will there be any criminal proceedings? Well, I'll at least tell you what I understand the situation to be, and I am not a legal expert, so I am not positive on all the different ramifications and how this plays out now that Epstein is dead. And so I would assume that there are not going to be further criminal proceedings against a dead person. So what's left? Well, there are still at least two civil suits that are out there. There's a suit against Epstein's estate. So people basically trying to come after his fortune that's left over. And there's also a suit against the lady that was Epstein's kind of right-hand person that helped him run everything and recruit girls and all this kind of stuff. And so there's a suit from one of the girls that was involved in his prostitution ring, and she has a civil case against Epstein's partner. And so that still exists, and there are other large names that have come out of that. But at least as far as I understand, when you have a civil case, 
that is very different than a criminal case. It's not going to be investigated on a criminal level, and it's not designed to hold people accountable, put people in jail, punish people, that kind of stuff. That's not what a civil case does. It's more between the two parties involved and making restitution for something that has happened. And so, realistically, if all that's left are civil cases then even if something comes out of that between the parties involved, it's very unlikely that it'll drag in people like the Clintons and Trump and princes in Europe and Israeli politicians and just all these different people, the CEOs that are involved. And yeah, it's very unlikely that any of them will get brought in on criminal charges. Now, it's possible evidence could come out during the civil case and that could force people's hands and get them dragged into this. I don't know. We'll see. But again, when you go back to what's the most realistic outcome here, what's the most obvious, it just, to me, I really don't see this giant worldwide scandal with hundreds of the world's top elites going down all at once on one case for one thing. It just, that doesn't seem realistic to me. Now, again, it could happen. We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. As the story progresses and unfolds, I will give brief updates if there's anything that's relevant to things that I've said in the past or that we're talking about, but that's where we stand, and since I had mentioned that in the previous episode, talking about current examples of corruption and conspiracy, I at least wanted to give this update on what's going on. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about was a little more on the morality of government. So that was the previous episode. We talked all about the morality of government in general, and I specifically left off anything related to religion because I was trying to focus on as close to a universal perspective of morality as I could get. At least morality is subjective, so it is what it is. And at some point, You've got to draw lines, and those might not be agreed upon by everybody. So I tried to stay as basic and as universal as I could. But the reality is that the Western world is based mostly on Judeo-Christian values. That's where most of our values and morals come from, whether or not we are religious or not, or whether we follow Christianity or Judaism or any other religion that exists. There are many different religions in the world. And so no matter what religion you follow, or if you don't follow any religion, it still is a fact that Judeo-Christian values have had the largest influence on the Western world and where we are today in the modern day in relation to values and morality and ethics. And so I do want to bring this up. You also had the fact that In many Christian circles and in many churches, they're very pro-military, very pro-government, and very patriotic and that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of interesting. And so if I'm making the claim that government as a system, as a structure, is necessarily immoral the way modern governments are set up, then how does this correlate with the Judeo-Christian values that the Western world was built on? And what many people that are professing Christians in the world today, that they actually contradict by supporting government and getting behind government and talking about the glories of government. So this seems kind of strange. So I did want to at least highlight a a little bit about the morality from a biblical perspective. And so this is not a sermon, but I do want to address some of these issues because it's fairly interesting and 
for some reason, it's actually very uncommon to hear these types of things talked about amongst people who are professing Christians and people that say they follow the Bible or biblical principles. So to begin with, if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and this is the Hebrew Bible as well as the Christian Bible, this is the Old Testament and Genesis, the first hierarchy established is the family. It's at a family level. So you have a father and a mother, and they have children, and the parents are to rule over the children, in a sense. They're to watch out for them, they're to make rules for them and protect them and do all these things that we basically expect a modern government to do for us as adults. That's what parents are supposed to do for their children. However, this only occurs until the children reach an age of maturity. And there is no set age for when this is. But in general, what's supposed to happen is that the children are supposed to grow up. They're supposed to get married. And instead of being under the leadership of their parents, they are to start their own household in their own family. And so let's say it's a son. Well, as that son gets older, then he marries a woman and they move into their own place. They get out from under their parents. The woman gets out from under hers. The man gets out from under his parents and they start their own family unit. So they start their own hierarchical structure where they would then have children and their children would be under them. But as their children mature, then they're out on their own and they start their own. And so although there is supposed to be respect for one's parents and one's elders in general, as far as the at least beginnings of biblical hierarchy are concerned, this is only supposed to be within the immediate family structure of parents and children, and that's as far as it should go. And so there is no setup of establishing a government or anything that even resembles that if you go back to the beginnings of where the Bible addresses hierarchy and that kind of stuff. If you go further in the Bible and you get into Mosaic Law, I had mentioned this somewhat on the episode I did on ancient Israel and governance over government, and so you can go back and listen to that if you're interested in this and you hadn't listened to that yet. But in Mosaic Law, there is an entire structure set up for how to run a society and live in a society and create a society that has governance but it does not have a formal government. And it actually goes a step further, and it says that God told the Israelites not to set a king over them. Basically, do not set up a formal government. Don't do this. That is not the way that you are to set up your society. And the specific reasons for this are things like taxes and war and property rights violations and things of this nature, which are most of the things that I just discussed in the previous episode relating to the immorality of government in general. So this is nothing new. This is all Old Testament stuff that's been around for thousands of years, and that is at least that perspective on government. Well, what about the New Testament? So modern churches in the Western world today and all around the world focus more on the New Testament than they do the Old, at least typically. And so let's look at what the New Testament has to say. Well, when you start off at the beginning in the Gospels, you have Jesus talking about the way people should live. And in the beginning of the first book of Matthew, it's what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about basically what 
people are supposed to do and how they're supposed to interpret Old Testament law and that kind of stuff and how this applies to you today. And he basically says that it's all about individual responsibility, that you should love everyone and you should show love to everyone. You should help other people. And it's not that you should give money to Rome so that they can provide welfare programs for the poor. No, it's that you yourself should be giving some of your wealth and some of your money, even if you don't have much, to those that are less fortunate than you, and you should be helping them out. And that's what he says. And so it's a major focus, and pretty much the only focus, is on individual responsibility. It is not a collective responsibility at the state level. At the most, you have insinuations that there can be collective programs within a church or within a group of people that are believers, and that's about it. And that has absolutely nothing to do with the state or a government. Another main point that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is that we should not resist evil. That's what he tells the people. He says, do not resist evil, but rather, if someone hits you, you turn the other cheek. If someone robs from you, you give them even more than they're stealing from you. So he goes on and gives many examples, but the point is that he is making is that even if someone violates your rights, and even if you have the right to go after them, to get your stuff back, to defend yourself, whatever, he is telling people not to do that. Do not resist evil. He says, don't do that. You should allow that to happen to yourself. And he lived that out in his life where he was, at least at the end of his life, he was prosecuted and persecuted and beaten and tortured and killed. And he did not defend himself. He didn't fight back. He didn't argue his case in court, nor did he physically try to get free. He didn't try to escape. Nothing. He didn't do anything. He allowed all this to happen. And he says we are supposed to model the way that he lived his life. And so according to this, then that's the exact opposite of what a government actually does. The whole point of a government is to resist evil, is to protect people and defend people from those who are trying to harm them, is to seek out justice and get stuff back when it is stolen and punish murderers when they kill somebody or attack somebody. And that's what a government is. So just at a fundamental level, it's the opposite of what Jesus teaches in his teachings in the gospel. So then later, you have Jesus and Paul that both say that Christians should submit to their authorities and they should pay taxes. But the specific reasons given to this is that we should not be resisting. You shouldn't resist evil. So instead of resisting even a corrupt government, you are to submit to it. And instead of resisting, you are to pay taxes when they force you to. And it also says that it will bring wrath down on the church the wrath of the government, and it also can divide the church and separate the people that are within that community because some people might be pro-government, some might be against, and this creates division. Then when the government comes in and cracks down, that creates even more division. And so for all these different reasons, they say, yes, you should submit, you should pay taxes, but there is absolutely no indication of showing support or saying that it's moral. If you look at the government of that day, Rome, 
it was very corrupt at that point in time, and especially as it relates to Christians in that day, it was very harsh. When you get to the end of the New Testament, you have the book of Revelation that talks about the end times and what happens in the future and all this stuff. If you've heard of the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and all this stuff, all of this comes out of the book of Revelation. Well, in Revelation, there is a society, a government, a country that is referred to as Babylon. And so there's a parallel between the ancient Babylon and this kind of new Babylon that will exist in the future. And it's described as a corrupt government that's very materialistic. It's all about consumerism and building wealth, and it is immoral and it is corrupt And what people are told is that if you are a Christian and a believer, then it's better for you to die, to be prosecuted and killed and martyred, than to even participate with this evil government, with Babylon. And so instead of getting what they call the mark of the beast, so basically it says that everyone will have some sort of mark on them, some people Picture this as maybe a chip that's implanted in them or some kind of barcode that you scan or who knows what, but that there is some marking that everybody will have to get. It'll be mandatory from the government in order to participate in the economy of that day. And so it would would make sense that if this were to happen in today's day and age or in the future, that everybody being mandated to get a chip in their wrist or something like that, and then you scan your wrist when you pay for things, that would make perfect sense. And it's not too much of a stretch to think that a government might make that a mandatory thing for all of its citizens. But what Revelation said is that it's better to die than to get this chip or whatever that may look like and participate in the economy of this corrupt government. And so there's a very specific example of, hey, here's a government, it's corrupt, it actually looks a lot like our current modern day governments, And not only should you not support it and you should not participate in it, it's actually better to be tortured and died and martyred than to participate. So that's fairly extreme. Now, the final thing that I'll mention related to biblical values and morality will be just the principles that the Bible sets forth when it talks about how people should live and how people should be treated and how they should treat one another. One of the biggest principles is free will, that we all have a choice. We all have a choice whether to follow the teachings of the Bible or not. We all have a choice whether to live a certain way or live a different way or participate in certain activities or not. We have that free will. Everyone has that choice in what they will do with their lives and what actions they will perform. Now, we can be coerced. We can be forced or attempted to be forced to do something, but we can always take the option of just saying no and resisting. We, we have free will. Again, sometimes that is taken away from us in certain extenuating circumstances. But in general, the biblical principle is that all individuals have free will. Now, when it comes to a government, do you really have free will? Well, no, you have to obey by their laws or you get thrown in jail or killed. So is that really free will? And Well, not really. Um, The other thing is that you should not hold others to biblical standards if they have not agreed to biblical standards, which makes perfect sense. It's the whole verse on how you shouldn't judge others. It's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. But what it actually says, if you look in the context there, is that you shouldn't judge people that do not profess to follow the Bible. 
according to what the Bible says, because they don't even agree to it. So why would you hold them accountable to it? That doesn't make any sense. It says that God is the one who will judge people, everybody, individually, and you don't have that right. However, if there is someone that says they follow what the Bible says, then you not only have the right to judge them, you actually should. You should call them out if they are doing something contrary to what the Bible teaches, and you should hold people accountable and come alongside them, not in a condemning way, but in a way where you come alongside them, you help them, you lift them up, you support them, you call them out, and bring them to the right way of living according to what the Bible says that they say they want to do. And so that makes sense. But the whole principle of not holding people accountable to biblical standards if they do not profess biblical standards is directly contrary to the principle of a government that holds everybody subject to its standards, whether or not they have any desire to be a part of that government and its standards. And you also have many Christians nowadays that want to get Christians as politicians. And if we could only get a real Christian president, real Christian senators and congressmen, then we can really, you know, institute morality and put morality back in society. Well, that's the exact opposite of this biblical principle, because if you're saying you want a Christian in office to institute biblical morality in the law and force people to do that, that's the opposite of what the Bible says. It says you should not be judging other people, much less be forcing them to live a certain way. That's not the way it's supposed to go, according to what the Bible says. And so that's very contradictory. The final thing that I'll mention would be that the biblical principle, especially espoused by Jesus and and many other places, is that a true leader should be a servant. A leader should not be someone who is ruling over everyone else, being a dictator, telling everybody what to do, forcing their will upon somebody. That is not a biblical leader. A biblical leader is someone that serves other people and does what's best for those other people under them and leads them and guides them in a positive and loving way and does not rule over them. And that is what a good leader looks like from a biblical perspective. Is that what governmental leaders look like? Uh, Could they even look like that? Well, no. Their job description requires them to act in an opposite manner. So, If you take all of this into consideration, and there is much, much more than this, but since this is not a religious podcast, there is really no place to cover all these different things and go into deep theology here. But I think I have at least covered some of the highlights of what the Bible says about morality in relation to government and how that relates, and I think that makes a fairly clear case just like I at least believe the previous episode did from a more secular point of view, but still makes the same case that government is immoral. It's immoral from a fairly universal perspective. It's immoral from a biblical perspective as well. And so is there any other way to judge morality aside from religion and universal preferences and beliefs? Not that I know of. That's pretty much it. So that's about all that I will cover in relation to immorality and morality and government. There are many other aspects from both points of view. Like I said, there's a lot more 
in biblical principles and scriptures, and there's a lot more when you look at government as a system objectively and look at all the different ways that there are major contradictions and infringements of natural rights and different things like this. But yeah, we're not going that deep into the weeds. And so this is all I will do in regards to this. So I will wrap up this episode here. And when we come back next week, we'll talk about the more practical aspects of government, things like efficiency and effectiveness, and look at it from that perspective. And the attempt, at least what I believe and the conclusions I have come to, is that the government does not really stand up very well to this type of assessment. Now, in general, when I have been covering different topics throughout this season, throughout this podcast, I try to look at things objectively, and I try to look at many different sides of an argument, many different perspectives. I try to present multiple perspectives, but the reality is that obviously I do have my own opinions. I do have my own conclusions. So as this season continues forward and where we are now, it's gotten more to the point that I am presenting my views and the conclusions that I have come to. However, even though I am not presenting all the different perspectives and all the different arguments, I have gone through and looked at all this stuff myself. So I have addressed all these topics and researched them fairly objectively. I've looked at pretty liberal perspectives, as well as libertarian perspectives, as well as conservative perspectives, as well as religious perspectives. Many different perspectives. I have looked at all these different topics from and so even if I am presenting mainly just from one perspective and presenting one argument, like here, I'm presenting the argument against government in these episodes that I'm doing currently in this season, even though that's the case, it's not that I am being extremely unobjective when I am assessing these things. It's just that I have done all this assessment, I have done all this research, and instead of doing an entire season on all the research I've done related to one specific topic, what I do is I take the conclusions that I've come to after looking at all these different perspectives and after looking at all this research, and I present my conclusion, which, yes, is biased, and yes, is subjective, and so, yes, in a way, it is not an objective opinion, but the research that went into it was fairly objective. But regardless, whether you believe that or not, the whole point of this season is to present you with different ideas, with different concepts, with different perspectives that you might not have considered. And hopefully, there will be things that you disagree with or that you're not quite sure about or you know, maybe you think, well, you know, he might not have researched that enough or whatever the case may be. And hopefully you have those things that pop up and you actually look into it yourself. I am not covering everything to the extent that it deserves to be covered. So hopefully there are things that you have heard before and this is a refresher or a different perspective on some of that stuff. But hopefully there's also stuff that you've never heard before or never thought about from a certain way and this hopefully will encourage you as you hear these different things to look into it yourself, to not blindly take everything I say as truth and fact, but to rather take it as a perspective. And hopefully you are looking at all these things from many different perspectives as well. And that's the goal to kind of try to stimulate that and to 
give you some different things to look into and to research that may not have been on your radar otherwise. So I say that mainly to just say that in these episodes that I'm covering in this series on government and some of the future ones, it is kind of a one-sided presentation here. And I just want to address this because in previous episodes, I have made it a point to try to highlight multiple perspectives. But we've gotten to the point here where I can't really do that very well. And I have done so much research, literally hundreds of hours worth of audiobooks and podcasts and regular books and articles, just so much stuff. And so I at least feel convinced myself that I am presenting a solid conclusion to all of this stuff, and that is what I will present. And if there is an objection that I believe has merit, then I will bring that up, such as for anarcho-capitalism, there are objections that do have good merit, good value, that do need to be addressed, and I will bring that up. I will not try to hide from things that are legitimate objections to the things I am presenting, but rather I do want to present those and then address those. And so that's where we are. That's where I am coming from. And I just want to make sure that I am getting that out there and basically giving that disclaimer as we get into these more subjective topics. And I am taking the more official libertarian bent to these things related to government money and education. So with that, I think we are all done here. If you have not followed me on Twitter, that is at FoundationsPC, and you can do so there. There is also the email address of ourfoundations at protonmail.com, where you can send me any comments or suggestions or feedback. I've gotten a few emails this past week, and thank you very much for those that have sent those in. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate you Taking the time to contact me, that is something that I really enjoy. I like getting stuff from people and hearing from people and hearing their perspectives and that kind of stuff. So please continue to do that. There is also the Patreon page where if you want to support this podcast financially or if you want to just look at some of the posts I've put on there that go a little more in depth on some random aspects, and you can just check that out if you're interested. That's patreon.com slash ourfoundations. And there's also the website that would be ourfoundations.podbean.com. And that has the outline and resources and all the different stuff there. So that is all of it. I believe everything is in the show notes. So if you just want to click a link for sending an email or going to the website or the Patreon page or Twitter, whatever, just click on the link in the show notes and that should get you there. So thank you very much again for listening. Thank you for the feedback that all of you have provided, those of you who have. Thank you for those of you who have left a rating. And if you have not done so, please take the few seconds it would take to just click the stars on whatever app you're listening to this podcast on, if it offers that. Some don't, and I understand that. If you have the time to leave a review, that's very helpful as well. So thank you for those who have done that. And thank you for the Patreon supporter that I have and I greatly appreciate the support that you give, and I enjoy hearing what your perspective is on these things and the things that you want to hear covered, and so thank you very much for that. With that, I'm out. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.